Let's pray together before we start and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it gives to us, Lord. We thank you for your kindness in reaching down and speaking to us. We pray that you give us soft hearts to hear your word. Give us discerning minds to understand and filter truth from error. And we pray that you would give us your grace to walk in your ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the plan this morning is uh, we're going to do things slightly different. We're going to tackle uh, just a few proverbs. It's going to be a little bit of a kind of scattergun approach. Uh, and we're going to drill down a little bit into those proverbs. So we're going to aim to tackle three uh, areas um, together. So, which you'll notice is not like the uh, thematic approach uh, that we've had for the last couple of weeks. The reason for this is because I think that the, the structure of Proverbs itself teaches us something about wisdom. Uh, if anybody has been like me, you've found that reading from chapter 10 through to chapter 30 can feel a little bit like wading through treacle. It's not the type of book that you can just rush through, is it? It's not the type of book you can just pick up and just kind of power on through uh, and read. It requires you to stop each time and to reflect and meditate, dwell. It's a book that's meant to slow you down, to show you that wisdom is a process. It takes time, causes you to slow down, to ponder, to pray, to reflect. But the structure also teaches us, uh, by the fact that it hasn't been organised thematically, I think, I think there's, uh, in, Proverbs is instructing us in that, in that that's the way that life is, isn't it? Life is complex, life is unpredictable, life is challenging. One thing it's this, the next moment is that. And so... Proverbs requires something of a multi-tool. Just for example, in one day, you can find yourself facing a fool and you think, how do I respond in this situation? Uh, in the very next moment, you find that you are the fool and you think, how do I respond in this situation? Then you face a temptation of one sort and the next moment you face a temptation of another and you have to hold your tongue. We find another temptation comes. It's a crook, a quick but crooked solution to a problem that we have. And we think, ooh. And we need Proverbs warning us away. Or we then, uh, we've made it through all of those and we arrive home, we find our child attacking their sibling. Not just me then. <laughs> And then brazenly defying your instructions. And you think, I need wisdom. A thousand things in a day. But before that, that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at a few proverbs together. and we're going to, It's going to be a little bit uh, random for those reasons. But before, before that, just quickly, I want to speak into two wrong ways that my own heart is prone towards. And perhaps you find the same. Two wrong ways to reading proverbs. The first way is reading Proverbs without Jesus in view. It's reading purely for instruction and advice. And the danger here is that conformity to or lack thereof becomes the ground of our acceptance with God. 
how well we are doing at meeting the standards of the instruction in Proverbs determines how well we think of ourselves or it becomes the ground of our confidence about the future. We read Proverbs without Jesus in view and it becomes purely instructional. And there are two cliffs that we can fall off then. We either walk in pride thinking, I've done this, I'm doing really well, I'm feeling confident, I must be great, the future is secure, or we fall into despair. We read Proverbs without Jesus in view and we constantly find ourselves in despair because we don't meet the standards of the wise person in Proverbs. And that reading requires us to remember that our acceptance with God, our identity and our value as people, and our confidence in the future is grounded in grace alone, through Christ alone. It is a free gift that we can't add to, but God gives us in him. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us a whole new identity. And he gives us a secure future freely by his grace because of Christ's righteousness, because of Christ's merit, because of what Christ has done. And perhaps if you're just hearing the Christian message for the first time and you're thinking, that sounds scandalous, that's right, it is. It's absolutely scandalous. We are saved by grace alone when we didn't deserve it. That's reading uh, Proverbs. That's one wrong way of reading Proverbs without Jesus in view. The other way is to read Proverbs with Jesus in view and then stop. It's to recognize the conviction, to feel that, oh, I need righteousness. Oh, I am the wicked fool. And to see in Proverbs that confession of sin and turning to Christ and seeing the movement of the Bible leads us to him and then we rejoice, we see that Jesus becomes our wisdom and our life, but then we stop and we don't read Proverbs anymore. And the danger here is that we don't come back to this mine of gems, of instruction that God has given us, that this instruction that has a new calibration to it because we are in Jesus, and so we lose loads of valuable instruction. What we need to remember here is that if that is our danger, it's that we need to remember that when we were saved, we were not instantly raptured. We still have lives to live here, and they are complex lives. Loving people and doing good is not always easy to work out in any given situation. It's complex. And not only so, but we still live in a consequential world. Actions still have consequences. Stealing still gets us in trouble with the law, generally. Words still do good or have negative consequences. It still matters how we live. Our actions 
still produce and change our lives. And the Lord hasn't changed. There are still things that he abhors and there are still things that he delights in. And as, love, and as children who love our Father, we want to walk in ways that please him. So that's just two wrong ways to read Proverbs. And really just a way to say, so let's re- keep reading Proverbs. Let's keep coming back to it and let's read it with Jesus in view. See how the Proverbs have a new calibration and then keep applying that instruction and that wisdom to our lives so we can live in a way that glorifies him. So, with that introduction, we're going to uh, look at three uh, verses or three areas. Um, the first is what I'm calling uh, the compound factor uh, or the self-defeating nature of sin. The compound factor and the self-defeating nature of sin. It's uh, chapter 11, verse 5, and the proverb says this, The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, uh, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. Now just look with me at the logic quickly of how this works. Notice how it says, uh, notice that there's a blameless person there. Can anybody read that? Yes. The righteousness of the blameless. So it's a blameless person. And see how it's the righteousness, the right deeds, right actions, right words of that blameless person that make their paths straight. You see that? It's the life of the blameless person makes their own path straight. It's a compound factor. Goodness builds on itself. Right living compounds and makes a straight path for our feet. And I think, what does that do? Uh, Well, I think that attracts us to the benefits of good decisions and of walking uprightly. I think there's an attraction, there's an encouragement there. Keep walking in the way that is right because it builds upon itself and builds a straight path before you. Another example of where we see this is in Proverbs Uh, chapter 1 verse 6 one of the purposes of Proverbs is for understanding Proverbs it it starts out that uh, in chapter 1, Proverbs 1 verse 1 the Proverbs of Solomon for dot dot dot, for dot 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 and then we get to for understanding Proverbs the Proverbs of Solomon for understanding Proverbs it's a compound factor seek wisdom get knowledge because it builds on itself and increases and expands our wisdom and our understanding and our knowledge. But it also works in the converse, doesn't it? So let's look back where here where it says, uh, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. You see, it's the same uh, dynamic happening this time. It's the wicked who are brought down by their own wickedness. You might call this the self-defeating nature of sin. Uh, Proverbs 26, uh, verse 27. Listen to this. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. This is really important for us to know about the nature of sin. Sin is hurting ourselves. The way sin works is that we dig the ground out from underneath ourselves. 
The wickedness are brought down, the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. And what does this do? Well, one thing that this does is that it warns us away from sin. Because sin is self-harm. It helps us by seeing God is, is instructing us, he's warning us, look at what sinning does. You're ruining yourself. How foolish. And that's the second thing that this does, at least, is that it deepens our picture, our deepens our understanding of sin, doesn't it? And therefore, our appreciation of what Jesus delivers us from. How marvellous that Jesus has saved us from ourselves. Perhaps you're like me and you can imagine the type of pit that you would have dug for yourself if Jesus didn't reach down and grab you before it started getting any deeper. I would have dug such a pit for myself. But doesn't that help us as we look up and we see the beauty of Jesus and Wow, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from myself. Look where my own decisions, the folly of my own part, would have taken me. I would have been ruined by my own sin. Maybe it causes us to cry out for those that are lost. And this also, as we think about Jesus think about the beauty of him coming and of his salvation, we see that the, the message about Jesus is that in this, like this proverb, he is actually the blameless one. And it is by his righteousness that have made our paths straight. That is, a, that is the strange exchange of Christianity. Not that we lifted ourselves out but that we dug a pit for ourselves and he came down to get us out. That's the grace of God. So those, that proverb is, has a new calibration in Jesus, but it still encourages us and warns us away from walking in sin. Secondly, let's quickly look at... Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 32. And this is uh, what I'm calling the changeability. Uh, uh, our ability to accept uh, correction. Something as well that Proverbs uh, repeats, says much of. Let's read uh, together. Uh, I'll read it out. It says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains knowledge. Notice there that the same compound factor or self-defeating nature of sin is at work even here in this proverb. Uh, but in 13.18 we have a similar type thing. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honoured. You see that? See how that's working? Ignoring instruction, as we have here, or listening to reproof. Uh, for myself, I think with promises and warnings like this, the promise of gaining intelligence when I'm, when I'm corrected or reproved, 
uh, the, pro the, the warning that I'm despising myself when I don't receive correction, when I don't actually receive it, I think to myself, it's a wonder that I still find this so difficult. Isn't it a wonder that we still find it so difficult, given we know the blessings on the other side? And perhaps that's another window into the craziness of our own hearts. <clears throat> and it's actually striking the number of proverbs that show how wisdom is connected to how willing we are to be corrected ourselves and instructed. Why is it so hard? Well, perhaps it's uh, subconsciously that we think we're complete. Is that it? We don't need correction because subconsciously we think there's nothing in me to correct. Amazing, isn't it? As believers who are on a journey of sanctification, uh, that we are slow to be uh, willing to say, yes, we need correction. But surely we're not so proud, are we? I suspect that more likely it's fear that, that our resistance is because fear of, it is fear that correction will show that we are not complete. It exposes us for what we are and that fear, uh, and it produces a fear that, that says, this might mean my rejection. This might mean rejection for me. I'm being confronted Therefore, I'm being rejected. You see, being, being challenged, being corrected, makes us humble and it makes us vulnerable. And it challenges our confidence. But it especially challenges our confidence if that confidence is rooted in ourselves, doesn't it? That's why it challenges it, because it's rooted in us. And we are being corrected. But Jesus transforms our ability to be corrected. As Christians, we should be the most correctable people. Why? Well, a number of reasons, but one of them is because Jesus, because of Jesus, it means that our acceptance is not rooted in our own perfection. We don't have to keep meeting that standard to maintain our acceptance with God. It's rooted in Jesus. It's rooted outside of ourselves. Secondly, Jesus changes our identity and our value. Because again, our identity and our value is not rooted in how perfectly I'm getting everything done all the time. But because Jesus has loved me. Jesus has set his love upon me. Or Jesus, because of Jesus, this is how we can do this, is because he enables us to look at ourselves honestly. We don't have to hide who we are or convince others that we're something that we're not because there was nothing that was hidden from Jesus when he went to the cross for you. He knew the blackest part of your heart. He loved you while you were a sinner. We can look honestly at ourselves because Jesus has loved us 
in our sin. Now, as a side note here, uh, talking about the changeability, this, uh, how often Proverbs speaks about our willingness to be corrected, um, it struck me how much wisdom in the book of Proverbs is a moral issue, not an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue, not a brain issue. You see, the modern attitude would have us think that wisdom was an intellectual endeavor only. But Proverbs teaches us that from start to finish, wisdom is about your heart. Remember what it says in chapter 1, verse 7. It says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A posture. The fear of the Lord is a posture of the heart. And that is the beginning and the foundation of all of our knowledge. But chapter 19, verse 27 says, it's also how we keep going. It says, stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. You hear that? Stop listening to instruction, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Your heart is the issue. And there's no way to get around your heart. You see, true wisdom is to know Jesus and him crucified for you. And God tells us that the major stumbling block to receiving him is actually the heart. The heart doesn't want to humble itself. The heart doesn't want to give up the throne. That's the issue. The heart doesn't want God to be God in your life. Not intellectual issues. And that was exactly what it was like for me. I thought, if, God, if Jesus is God, it means that I'm not. Like it wasn't obvious already, but... Isn't that how we think, right? But no, what I mean is... If he's God, he's on the throne, not me, ruling and making the decisions about my life. He owns my life. I don't own my life. He calls the shots. I don't call the shots. That's the issue in coming to Jesus, in thinking about uh, knowledge. You see, I liked being God. And the sad thing is, little did I know that I was a terrible master of myself point here is that wisdom and knowledge are at root moral, not intellectual issues. And this means that Oxford is not necessarily the wisest place in the country. Now, our final verse. Whoever heeds, uh, wait, I'm sorry. Folly, uh, 22 verse 15, folly is bound up. This is uh, folly in the heart, discipline in faith, I'm calling this. Uh, Proverbs 22 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Now, I just want to say, this is the reason I've gone here, I understand that this is a focus for parents. So some of you are not parents, please don't check out. Either you'll become parents or the principles 
can be understood and applied more generally. And this is immensely helpful and important. Now, the reason why I've gone here in the book of Proverbs and I've gone here today is because Proverbs is one of those few books that speak into this issue of parenting with such clarity and I think it provides such an important foundation. I wanted to capture it while we had the opportunity, while we were here. So see what this says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And isn't it the case that that is so contrary to the popular idea of people? How contrary the popular idea of people is that message that we hear today? We're We're absolutely swimming in a different idea about what people are like. Culture wants to speak about neutrality. Culture wants us to think that if we simply provide the right environment because of neutrality, children will grow wise and make the right decisions, won't they? Seeing some slightly older parents shaking their heads. (laughs) But the thing is, because we've drank from that fountain, We tell ourselves that if my child is being foolish, I must be doing something wrong. Don't we? Because they're neutral. Surely they're going to grow up the right way. And that makes it so hard. You're swimming against the culture. We need to be aware of that. The world is telling us a lie. That is what's happening. It's a lie, and it makes it so hard as parents because you're swimming upstream. But you know what Proverbs 22 verse 15, it says to the culture, no. It says no to neutrality. It says folly is bound up in the heart. Just think about that imagery that the proverb is helping us with. The heart is absolutely bound up. Like a, like a wire fence with, with a vine that is just all over, in and out and around. Which means that environment alone is not enough. Which means that your child's folly is not always and only you. You could be doing everything right. And we need this biblical peg so firmly in the ground. It is so important for us as parents and just as people to understand what we are like because it's not just people. Look what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There's nothing new here about what Proverbs is saying about people. It's just saying, yeah, children are the same. We start that way. Jesus says the same thing in Mark chapter 7 verse 22. Out of the heart come all kinds of problems. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18. There is ignorance in unbelievers. Chapter 4 verse 18. Go and look at this and think about the logic. The ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Doesn't that change how we think about other people? Evangelism, 
transforms evangelism. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. They grow up, get old, and it's just as foolish. Doesn't just, folly doesn't just wander off when they get old. It just gets more folly. Which means, as we come into land, that we're actually dealing, when we're dealing with our children, say this with three children that I love, that we are dealing with irrational creatures. Sounds funny, doesn't it, right? We get it, yeah? Of course they are, yeah? But how often we think that they're not. We're dealing with irrational creatures, and that means that we don't have to be so surprised when we see irrational behaviour. We can be, this instruction helps us to be less freaked out by what we see. That's helpful. Also, it means that it helps us because we know we're dealing with a heart, not just behaviour, and so it changes our focus and our prayers. Because we see that it's bound up in the heart, it means that the, it is a battle that only God can win. And so knowing this means that we throw ourselves on him and on his mercy, knowing that he is so gracious and he is so powerful. He can change our children's hearts just like he changed ours. And that's where we throw ourselves and we pray. But we also walk faithfully in his ways. And that's the second part of this verse. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Now just for, for, the, for the sake of this morning, let's just put aside the issue of how to apply the language of rod. I'll say one thing about that, and that is just to say, to make it clear publicly, that uncontrolled, violent battery of children is absolutely wrong. That is wrong. That is, the one thing I'll say about that this morning is that is not this means. Wherever you land, how to apply the language abroad, that behaviour is not wrong. And that is, Christians can't condone that. But what is clear here, coming back, is that discipline is needed, isn't it? Discipline is needed. And we need to hear both of these two things together. Folly bound up in the heart of a child and discipline is needed. And how hard this is as a parent. Self, I just wish we could get along. No? Oh man, that's hard. But Proverbs is so clear. Just listen to a few of these verses uh, about, about the importance and the need for discipline. Those of you who, are, who, who aren't parents, uh, do bear with me. Um, you'll understand, um, perhaps later. This is so important. Just, just, hear these ver- just hear these words. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Or 19 verse 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. 
Do not be a willing party to their death. Or 23 verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a, from a child. Punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Or 29 verse 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights uh, you desire. Discipline is an important means that God has ordained for us to raise our children. And the final thing I want to say here on this is that we do this by faith. We do it by faith. That means is that we listen to God's instruction about what he says about our children, about what he says about people generally. We trust him instead of what the culture says to us or what we wish was the case. We listen to him, we trust him, and then we, by faith, we, we put actions on it saying, your ways are right, and by my actions and my prayers, I cast myself upon your mercy, and I say, God, I'm using your means to reach your ends for these children, for their hearts. And so we pray. I know that much more could be said about that, and I'm totally up for carrying on the conversation afterwards. That's what's needed. For now, we're coming in, landed, and so I'm just going to pray and give thanks to God for all the instruction that He's given us in Proverbs. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks uh, this morning for uh, Proverbs. We thank you for the instruction that you've given to us in this book. We pray that you would help us to read it with Jesus in view. Uh, and to keep reading it and to walk in your ways. Please help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.